Welcome to the Start Up to Something podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Matt. This is our weekly update where we share the ups and downs of building and growing our bootstrapped online businesses. And sometimes we ramble on about tech. Hey, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mark. What's up? How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> How's your week? Yeah, my week, um, it was good, I guess. <laughs> so I, I finally deployed the bidirectional and self-references. Okay. Yeah. So like I, I, pr- I spent pretty much all week just testing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my biggest mistake is that as I was testing it, Whenever I encountered something that I that bugged me about the user experience, or huh. or I was trying to like debug it and like, oh, if only there was a way for me to find the record now so that I could debug it instead of having to go in the database. Right. So I kept adding all this, how these these features were creeping in, you know. <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot of the stuff I knew had to be done, like. Like there was, there was all in my backlog. Like these, these are extra features I need. I need mm-hmm. an ability to filter all the logs so that the user, after they do an import, they can find what they're looking for in the logs to see if something was synced properly or. Right. So, but now because I was the user, <laughs> I wanted it now. Like, <laughs> right. But it's totally, it was totally the wrong thing to do because the scope just getting bigger and bigger. And then I had more things to test because now right. I changed this interface. So I have to test it. Um, so yeah. So, and then when I looked at my, my Git log and I realized that it's been three weeks since I did a deploy because I've just been like, I've just been, yeah, working on this and, uh, and yeah, I've just been committing stuff and committing stuff, but I hadn't kept, I hadn't deployed s- since three weeks ago. So it was it was scary, but eventually I pulled the trigger, um, because I put a, a feature flag. So I added that's yet another feature I added, <laughs> a feature flag, so that by default it's off for everyone. This new importer, mm-hmm. so everyone's still on the old one, um, and the way I set it up, like ten percent of users, if they create a new workflow, they get the new one. Yeah, so otherwise they get the the original. Okay. Uh, but the interface changes, some of them like are not part of this flag, like they're the changes are for everyone. Oh. So yeah, unfortunately I introduced a few bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so then yeah, I spent all like uh, a few days like just squashing bugs. Right. Like, oh shit, this here's a new one. Or to get an exception by email. So, oh shit. I've never seen this exception before. This is not a bug that I know of. Okay. So I go investigate. Ah, idiot. I just introduced this new bug. I see. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. But the moral of the story is, man, next time, <laughs> try to keep this, you know, work one thing at a time. Like, yeah. <laughs> like all these extra things, they were definitely, they're definitely great. They make the product better mm-hmm. because they really helped me debug the new features. Totally. Like I was able to, whenever I do a sync, to quickly look at the differences of what was synced. Sure. So they're all things that were needed. But, but uh, I should have done this afterwards. Like, <clears throat> or before. <clears throat> improve the interface, deploy that, and then work on the new importer. Right. But not all at the same time with this monolith of a, <laughs> of a feature. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, otherwise, I mean, there's still a few bugs and I need to, after recording this, I need to get back to fixing those. Right. But overall, it's it's uh, working. It's successful. Fantastic. And it's so much faster. That's... Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest, that's the biggest improvement, I, I think. Again, that's a, that's another that's more feature creep that snuck in, <laughs> right? The original scope was I need to support bi-directional references and self-references, mm-hmm. but then 
as I'm rewriting the importer, like I'm, re- you know, I'm finding a bunch of places where I could optimize. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I think I found a new way to detect if anything has changed, so that I don't even try to do an update in these scenarios. Right. And yeah, that was that wasn't easy, but I did it at the same time. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, but now I have some of these these uh, scheduled syncs that are happening every five minutes for some users. Pretty cool. Like for some of them, they were taking four minutes. So it was like borderline, like, Ooh. oh, like they're, they're just in time for every five minutes. But now like uh, they're running in seconds because most right. of the time there's nothing to update. Right. Very cool. Yeah. So that is good. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a whole bunch of other little improvements. There was There was one bug. Where the Webflow API, when you, you, you give it some images, let's say, like you say, okay, create this new record and put these images. Yeah. If any of the images are bigger than four megabytes. Yeah. It just silently just ignores it. And it just responds with an, with a successful status saying, yep, I, <laughs> I create, I created the item. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't actually save the images. It's like, I create everything else you asked me to create. Yeah. But I, I ignored the images. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, I, I finally was able to add code there where – because at least in the, in the status, they returned me the record. So, then I can c- compare the record uh-huh. and say, hey, wait a second. I told you to put images. <laughs> so, I can detect if it didn't save the images. That's very interesting. So, like, I mean, the only way you could have known that is from a user trying to do it, right? Like, all right, yeah. did you, you, I was going to say, did you find that on your own? That's crazy. No, no, exactly. I had a user at one point ask, like, for some reason, this one is not, the images are not syncing on this record. Mm. And yeah, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> wow. I tried to reproduce it on my side. It works. So, yeah, it's only when I said, well, let's, I'm just going to try, like, with their record, but in my own Webflow. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then I can reproduce it. And it, it wasn't obvious. Yeah, because there's absolutely no warning from Webflow. It just says successful. And then you it returns you the record and there's no images in the record. Interesting. Yeah, that feels like a, <laughs> a bug with the API. You should probably file a, an issue with Webflow. Because <laughs> isn't, yeah. isn't there a... HTTP code like partial creation, it's like two hundred six or something like that. Right. Yeah. No. There's. Yeah. I agree. Like there's. There should be a. There's room in the response to put a warning. Yeah. Literally anything. Yeah. Exactly. Because I know that Webflow does that. Um, like image, uh, like asset transformation, where they'll take the asset and then downscale it to like a bunch of different resolutions and that yeah. sort of thing. So I guess I was like, oh, is that an async behavior? But if it wasn't happening at all, then... Yeah, I mean, I don't think it does that for images that are in the CMS. I mean, I might be mistaken, but I think it only does that for images that you upload to the assets. Yes, you're right. You're, you're absolutely and, right. That's and then I'm use thinking. an image tag to display them. Okay. But for the CMS, I don't think it does that. Yeah, when I, I'm trying to remember, cause like when I put together my little t-shirt store, I pulled some stuff from Unsplash, but I don't remember how, I think I uploaded it via the CMS, like import, but that would be an upload action, which would then do that whole like asset resizing thing. And, and then it, it tells you, like if you, if you're in the Webflow uh-huh. designer and you upload an image, if it's too big, it tells you, it tells like, you. nope. Ah. Uh-huh. It can't be bigger than four megabytes. Interesting. Yeah, that feels like a bug then from the yeah. Webflow API. That feels like worthwhile filing a bug report. I guess, but it was easier to fix on my side. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the reality is... who knows easy. how long it will take them to fix it. Like, yeah, totally. So yeah, so I fixed that. So now, so now in the, I changed also the whole navigator to navigate when, when you run an import... Like I, I keep this snapshot of everything that was synced. Yep. And there's like a navigating interface for that, so you can browse through it, filter it. Okay. And now there's there's like this new kind of status. Like an item is either synced, partially synced, or failed to sync because of an error. Okay. So now this this image is part of the partial sync status. Okay. Yeah. No. Otherwise, the, the only. Other big surprise I encountered was 
my my logic for deleting was wrong. Like I had I had missed something. Okay. It's it's because it, with all these bidirectional and self references, yeah. it's like a big spaghetti mess. Sure. <laughs> and and when you want to delete something, you have to make sure that all the references are unset because uh, like because Webflow enforces these constraints. Like it won't let you delete something if uh, someone else is pointing to it. Oh, I see. So you would have to undo the references first and then delete the exactly. item. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my. And I thought I'd f- I had figured out a- the right order to do all the actions, so I didn't have to do that. Yeah. But uh, in the end, I was wrong. Like because of the bidirectional references, there's really no way around it. Like if um, even if they delete both records, like I can't delete either one. Until I unreference one side. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, man. So I had to add that. Otherwise it's 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 all good. Just a, just a few bugs. Okay. Great. And uh, I'm confident that I think by the end of this week it, it's gonna be deployed for everyone. Okay. Now the people who it's deployed for right now, are they um are they using just their regular importers? Or like by that I mean are they making use of the bidirectional por- uh, portion of it, or are they? Is it just their current workflows working as they expect them to? So, um, I had kept a list of all the people who ever asked for this feature. Yeah. So I reached out to all those people and asked them if they wanted to try it. Yeah. And of course, all of them did. So, so I nice. I activated it on their accounts. Okay. So then they have to go back into their their setup and mm-hmm. add those extra references. Mappings okay. now that that before I used to block, but now uh, they can. So yeah, so they so they've been notified and they they consented to the new one. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, the my random ten percent sample of of new workflows, uh, they they don't know that they're using the new one. So so they may or may not set bidirectional references. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, obviously, I don't want to maintain two different importers. Of course, yeah. And uh, and the new one has all these new improvements, mm-hmm. like detecting that images have been ignored by Webflow and mm-hmm. etc. There's so many other improvements. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so yeah, they they silently are upgraded to the new one, and they don't know that. Well, if they're new users, they don't even know there was an old one. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, and it's fully backward compatible. Like it. Uh, you, you can upgrade someone to the new one, and you can even downgrade them to the old one. And nice. They won't notice. Beautiful. Yeah. No, it's, it was a, I guess it was a success. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> done, yeah. Done is better than perfect. Yeah, but three weeks, like, that was a long time. But definitely, there are, there's a debriefing to be done <laughs> with myself. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking, Mark? Like, this was too big. One thing at a time. Yeah, I wish I had a I had a clear idea that you were adding things on. I would have challenged you. Damn, <laughs> I'm not fulfilling my my part as an accountability partner. <laughs> it just sneaks in. Right? It's like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like you're in the code, and oh yeah, this is another stupid thing I do is that I like I don't have like a an external bug tracker or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I just add comments in the code for all bugs and all right. feature requests, and I just add it in the code. <laughs> so then I can just use grep to find them. Yeah. And then when I implement them, I just delete the comment, yeah. and I'm able to do a git diff, and I it produces me like a change log, basically. Like mm-hmm. I see exactly all the features I implemented. Right. So I wouldn't recommend this workflow for a team of developers. <laughs> But as a solo developer, it's it's great. Hmm. So I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, yeah, you're, you're in the code, and you're you know like, and you see this bug or this to do or this feature, and you're there. Oh, oh, well, I'm right here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I should I should implement it. Like, yeah, it's going to be useful for debugging it. And, oh, yeah. So, oh my god, I just so much creep. It became a monster. Well, luckily no one died. And no. your product is better now as a result. So yes, even if it exactly. didn't go exactly the way you had hoped, 
yeah, at least things are if, Even if I introduce new bugs. That's okay. I did eliminate old ones. Yes. So. Bugs can I be think, fixed. I think there's progress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was my week. Cool. How was your week? My week was good. Um yeah, I've been been doing a bunch of different things. It's been a it, last week was a pretty light week. I more or less kind of finished the milestone for my uh for my one client there. Um, so I got to take care of a lot of stuff that <laughs> has been piling up. I've been putting off and putting off my corporate taxes. So I'm trying to do that. <laughs> um, I hate it. Oh God, I hate it. But I, I had a really, uh, interesting, uh, breakthrough, I guess, uh, last week, which is that I've developed this habit and I'm sure others have done this too, where, You'll be working and then something will frustrate you like, oh, I don't understand what this call is supposed to be doing. And I've built this habit where I like run away from that feeling and open up Twitter or open up YouTube. So it's like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to deal with frustration, YouTube. Oh, I don't want to deal with this Twitter. And it's not that I'm really like spending time there. I'm just running away from this feeling that I had. So all of a sudden, like I knew I was doing it. But I didn't realize why I was doing it because I found that I'm finding that I'm doing this kind of throughout my life. Like whenever I have painful memories or whatever, I just kind of get frustrated and I want to run away from the thing that I'm feeling rather than feel it and then, you know, begin the healing process. Um, but when I realized I was doing this with my work, I was like, oh, okay, I can draw a line. So now I've been doing a lot more, um, I don't know, my awareness is just a lot better as a result. I've kind of been doing about seven days of like, uh, you know, I, I meditate every day. And after I meditate, I've been sitting down with no screens, no phone, no anything, just with my journal. And just think about like, oh, what are some of the feelings that have been coming up lately? And how have I been and like taking the time out to feel them? And it's been really interesting to like, understand that I have this awareness, this like fleeing mechanism. Um, so I'm hoping that by dealing with that feeling a little bit more, I'll be able to like be more resilient when I'm working in my day to day. So that was kind of a nice little like personal growth moment. But turns out the thousands of dollars I spent on therapy is it's worth it. <laughs> Who knew? Um, so a couple interesting things happened this week. So um, maybe I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I do. Uh, I work with some. Uh, I have some friends who run a recruiting company that I work that I do contract work with. Uh, I meet some of their candidates. And, uh, we talk about, you know, jobs that they want and what they're expecting and corporate cultures and all sorts of things. So, um, I got this really awesome, uh, message, uh, the other day. And it was one of the founders of the, of the company. And he sent me a message saying, Hey, you, you spoke with this candidate and they got placed and they took the job. And they said, you know, uh, during the feedback session, they said, you know, talking with Matt was, amazing like it was it really cinched it i you know this this is really fantastic so he showed me that and i was like oh man that is so cool like it's really cool to like add real value like that it, oh man it, yeah i was tearing up a little bit and then my <laughs> tears immediately dried up and i was like okay maybe i need to be rethink my pricing a little <laughs> a little bit like i've been working with them for a long time and uh like back like right when i first went independent and I was still learning about what my rates were and what I, you know, what value am I adding, that sort of thing. And um, I've been thinking for the last while that, like, I've been meeting a lot of their candidates and I feel like it's been going really well. And I look at them and I'm like, man, I think I can add more value here. Like, I, I think maybe there's ways for me to do even more uh, and for me to be able to help your candidates even more. And I've been trying to think about that with respect to pricing and how much value I'm adding. But then as well, like, you know, because it's not like the biggest rate in the world. I mean, not everything is about money, but as I do other freelancing, I'm kind of looking at this and realizing like, okay, if I'm going to be doing consulting like this, like, especially for my time, because my time is the most valuable thing that I have. Um, I, I need it to be, I got to make it really worth my time. And it's not that this isn't worth my time, but I want to make sure that I'm compensated fairly relative to the, to the value I'm adding. And as well, um, you know, like I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, that I'm spending my time efficiently. No, of course. It's totally reasonable. Like 
like you want to do part-time consulting and mm. part-time indie hacking, right? So yeah. the part-time consulting has to pay for the, <laughs> the part-time indie hacking that doesn't make any revenue yet. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, like, because I, I love having multiple income streams. Like, it's really cool to do, like, contract development, but then also, like, some consulting like this on the side. And, of course, like, not all income streams are going to make the same amount of money. Um, but figuring out, like, how can I make sure that I'm that I'm charging up an appropriate amount, but also adding as much value as I can. Because I, I think that's part of this, right? Like I, when I saw that message, I felt so good. I was like, man, there's so many more ways I could get involved and like help your candidates prepare for interviews or for anything. Like there's, yeah, I, I'm just like full of ideas. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with something I can propose to them to be like, let me get more involved and help you out even more. And we can use that as an opportunity to, to adjust my rate. So I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like, but, um, but I don't know. I just look at it and I just think like, oh man, like it's, I'm glad they're getting a lot of value out of the work that I'm doing. Cause I, I really enjoy it. And it's, and plus I get to meet like super cool people who are really smart, really good developers, um, that are really excited. They're interested, interested in changing jobs and like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool spot. So, yeah. Uh, is this like something you could do for other businesses? Yeah, so um, this is a very interesting space because <laughs> I think like I don't know what the profile of a company who would like this is, but I think it. I think the answer is it depends. So like I think that when it comes to it, like so okay, like thinking about the whole recruiting life cycle, it would you know your funnel at the top is like lead lead generation and that sort of thing. How do you get out and message people, message people, get people to respond? Um. And then from there, it's like, okay, how can I get you interested or excited about changing jobs? And then it's like, how can we get into the assessment phase of, all right, I'm going to, maybe it's a coding, take home coding challenge. Maybe it's in-person interviews. And then like, all right, how can we pare down, pare down, pare down until you get to the, to the offer stage? And like, I think I'm a good engineer. So like there, I could definitely see a lot of things like, all right, maybe I'm like a canned coding challenge of like, this is the job or this is the challenge. This is what I expect. And I can review it and say, okay, this person knows what they're doing for the technologies I know. Um, okay, this person knows what they're doing. They're tackling things in this way. They know what a Docker file is. They know what clean code looks like. They know what an integration test is. Just the, the bare minimum for what it takes to screen somebody. And even potentially doing um, the first round, because the the problem with um, uh, the, the problem with the recruiters is that like well sorry the problem with being a recruiter is you don't want to put too much energy into um, screening the candidate yourself like interviewing them to see if they'll pass um, pass the the rigor of the company's interview because then it just lengthens the road that each candidate has to take in order to get a job. But if you were doing the, let's say they were going to do five, they, the company was going to do five interviews. If you could pick their lowest hanging fruit and make that be their, their very first interview and then telling me to do that and saying it's a yes or a no and having faith that, you know, Matt can, <laughs> Matt can do that initial interview and have it be worthwhile. Then I think there's a ton of value in that. Um, okay. Because the reality is you're spending engineering time to, to interview candidates. Um, but I think too, like maybe you have to have a, a mature process or maybe it needs to be such a shit show that, <laughs> that you're willing to offload it to, to an engineer like me. It, it, it depends. Like I, I don't have a great sense of what companies value in this space. Cause like, I mean, there's just such a clamor for talent right now that they're like, well, not that people are saying we can take what we, uh, we can, we can get, but like, you know, like, it's like, how do I get my hands on leads? It's it's just so difficult with big companies coming in and eating up a lot of the market. So it's not just because you're a former employee of Upgrade. Like, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Like, I, I think I have a unique, you know, like to be clear, like this, um, the recruiters are recruiting for my previous employer. And... I have a very unique take on all of this because I worked there. I understand the candidates. I understand, I understand what they're looking for. So I, I have a very unique offering in this, in this current position. Um, but can I take that level of trust and extend it to another company? Maybe, if, especially if they're lacking expertise or 
time or anything, um, anything that lightens, lightens the load. The next question is, can you get AI to do it? No. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> God, no. I'm not getting, oh man. We can't make a deep fake of Matt. <sighs> deep. That's interesting, actually. <laughs> like, the, yeah, I mean, the problem is like, what happens if they ask a question and the deep fake of Matt is like, does not compute or <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, it's sure, so, I'm, I'm sure there's some canned responses that you could just oh yeah do in those situations and the conversation would just keep going. I mean, like the problem is, I, I don't know. I've heard so many horror stories about uh, like, like candidate screening, like um, the CV screening bots. And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go in and search for keywords and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, my God. If if uh, if candidates would uh, conspire and get together and be like, they called me back and they didn't call me back. Like these bots, like all of these companies would be sued for fraud, for discrimination. Like these stupid bots. Like, I don't know. It, yeah, yeah. This no, is, I mean, I, I was, I was joking. Oh like, no, no, because, no, no, for yeah, sure, because I've, sure. I've read so many horror stories where someone who's totally qualified for the job like submits their CV and they they get rejected, mm. and then they just stuff it with a bunch of keywords and resubmit it. And, yeah. Oh, look at that! They got accepted. Magic. Yeah, and they, they could write just gibberish, but yeah. as long as the keywords are there, they make it through. Yeah, it's yeah, they've lost the human touch. Yeah. But yeah, like, I think it's a really interesting space in general, the recruiting. I mean, like, one thing that is a, is really interesting to think about is that the tools for people use for lead generation are very democratized. So, like, Facebook conceivably has the same tools as you or I. Like, it, it just comes down to what you're willing to pay for. Um, so that creates kind of an interesting, incentive situation i guess where how do you compete between these two companies like if a new candidate hits the market how do you as a recruiting you as a company who's looking for talent how do you find these people how do you entice them to come and work for you and not go work for amazon or facebook Um, especially now with remote work where i mean it used to be an asset that if you were a remote friendly company and now it's like all bets are off everybody's remote friendly like that chip doesn't play anymore right so, but yeah, I, it's, I find the space really interesting and especially to like, you know, I can't lie. Like it's a big, it's a big industry right now in tech. People want to recruit. They want to find good people. Um, so a lot of money is flowing into there. Um, I'd, I'd love to, it'd be cool to work on a product or something there, but I, I just don't know the space well enough. I mean, I work with these recruiters. It'd be cool to, to work with them, but I mean, like, you know, I've spoke, spoken with their fat, with the founders and, it's real interesting to hear people who understand an industry so well, like the, the, the beliefs they have, where, where the industry is going. Um, yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff. I guess that's the thing about talking with experts. I love talking with experts. It's just so enlightening. Right. Yeah, it's, it's always the best way of identifying opportunities also yeah. in the market. Mm. So other than that, I've been reading a bunch about crypto, which has been very fun. Um, I've, I already hit my first snag of like, I've been reading through a bunch of things about how the basics all work. And, uh, I got to the point where, cause one of the questions I have is let's take the basic operation of me sending you money. How is that done? What are all of the moving pieces that have to work together to make that work? And I've already hit, <laughs> I've already hit a landmine of like, they talk, there's this, they describe about like, oh yeah, you know, you like create a, a, a transaction request and that gets verified by the miners. And I was like, oh, how does the verification work? And I cannot find an answer, which is really interesting. Cause it's like, when you generate a wallet, you have a public key of a wallet and a private key of a wallet. Makes sense. But then you sign your request. You sign your transaction request and the miners are able to validate it. But it's like, wait, how do you validate it? I'm the one with the private key and the private key is not stored on the blockchain. So how would a miner be able to verify anything that I sign? Yeah, I don't know if they is verified the right word. Like 
I think it's more of like who's the first one to to sign it and put it on the blockchain. Like, like it's more of a con- consensus. I don't know. But even then, like I'm even thinking a step before that where um, miners are forming a block. So they're picking transactions from mempool, I think it's called. They're pulling transactions from mempool and storing them in their block. But it's like, how did that transaction even get into mempool? Because it would, is it verified? I don't know if it's verified by the miner that selects it or if it's verified by somebody else before it goes into mempool. But like, because I'm interested in like, because the, the, the issue here is that the person holding the wallet has a private key and some operation is taking place that involves that private key that says this transaction is verifiably true. But like, I don't know how that's possible <laughs> if I'm the only one with the private key. Because I'm used to like the SSL handshake of like key exchanges and that sort of thing. But it's like in all cases, like we are sharing something with each other. Um, but if everything is like open and transparent on the blockchain, then like how yeah. is this happening? So I'm I'm looking for that answer still. Have you read the Bitcoin white paper? I have it open, <laughs> but okay. they, they, they <laughs> but they don't they actually don't talk about that. They they just say verification. It's like arrow with verify written, and then like that's the end. Really? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I heard some people said they read it and yeah, it was it was hard to read through it, but once once you give it a good try, like you, it's well it's well documented. Okay. Like you, can have an idea of how it all works. Okay. I have to be honest, I did not read it. So Yeah, no. Well, I, I started, I was reading through a bunch of things that were all linking to the white paper and quoting the white paper. And I would read those passages and be like, okay, that's that's readable. I, I can, you know, it's dense, but I can read it. So I was like, all right, I'll just open up the white paper and give it a go. So um, I made it through like, I don't know, like the first page and a half or something. And then I see the verify step and I'm scanning down for like details on the verification, but I didn't see it. So maybe I need to scroll down even further. Cause I'm like, wait, I don't understand. How is this done? I probably just need to do a command F in there. Yeah. I don't, I, I didn't think like I, there's, there's definitely not, well, I, mean, I might be totally wrong here, but they're definitely not trying to reverse and try to guess what your private key is. No. Like obviously that's, that's, that's still impossible to do, and that's how this whole thing can work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and since you you can only send money to someone else's wallet, mm-hmm. like you don't have to make sure that the person wants to receive it. Like you know, there's no like, there's no like, the two par- the two parties don't have to consent to, yeah. for a transaction. Yeah. One person says, "I'm sending money to that wallet," yeah. and whether you want the funds or not, yeah. you're getting them. Like, totally. So I think it's mostly the miners are assembling the next block, mm. and if there's an whoever like if there's enough of them that have assembled it, then whoever's first, mm. I think there's also like a there's a race to it, like whoever. Yeah, yeah. I that part is really interesting because they were saying statistically, like it's like how do you decide? Um, so basically, what happens is the as the blocks get built, so uh, so the miner hits the. They, they hit the proof of work and then um, they construct their block and then they propagate that block to the rest of the network. But two miners can hit the statement, the statement of work, the, uh, the proof of work at the same time and they can start propagating uh, as well. So now right. it's this race to see like which one will propagate the network faster because like the crazy thing is miners will be like, the example I saw was like, a um uh node A and B get created at the same time and begin to propagate. Um and as soon as you hear about as soon as some hear about A, they'll begin doing the proof of work for A and same for B. So what can happen is the node A might win. So all the work that was done for the B block is backtracked effectively because they're yeah. like, oh no, the longer chain wins. And it's interesting exactly. too, like they were saying um uh, they they were talking about favoring the length of the chain, which makes sense. Like if a chain is longer than yours, then it's probably it's more likely to be correct, or at least that's what the system, the network is saying. But at the same time, it's like they were saying that like statistically, like the more people, um, the uh, if you are showing more progress in propagating one block than the other, 
then statistically your block is going, your chain is going to be longer than theirs as well. Cause you, I guess you have more people working to make the chain longer. It's, I, I, I need to stop talking about it cause I, I don't fully understand <laughs> it, but that's kind of the gist of where I was going. Cause I'm like, how do you eventual consistency all of this? Because like, it's true if a, cause if a transaction in B, uh, if there was a transaction in B that wasn't in A, it would look like the transaction was done or it, lo- it would look like it was on the chain. But then, oh, it turns out that A is longer, so B gets undone. So those transactions would need to go back to mempool uh, in order to be uh, reallocated to another block. And it's interesting, too, um, the documentation I was saying, reading was saying, like, this happens, like, not very often, actually. They're saying it happens a few times a day at most. Okay. Which is, like, so interesting. Like, what, a, what an yeah. interesting statistical simulation. So, yeah, I've been doing a bunch of reading about that taking a lot of notes. Um, I've been soliciting more friends for questions. And I realized like, as I was digging into their questions, I was like, I have to go back to the basics actually. Um, cause I, yeah, it's like, I have the conceptualization of how it works. Cause I have, I understand like, cause it's basically Git. Like the, the, <laughs> yeah. they're just, yeah, they're just, it's a bunch of hashes uh, and commit messages. So it's just like, Oh yeah. Like I understand how all that, how, uh, how it's all done. So once I get a firmer understanding of that, then I'll be able to work a little more on answering some of these questions. But yeah, because my first one was just like, where does it all come from? Like, what are the miners really doing? And give me all the give me all the cogs. <laughs> so that's been really fun. Uh, I'm writing a bunch, pulling a bunch of notes, and just kind of assembling my own little crypto workbook. Right now, the nice thing is that there's so much on Bitcoin that like the document documentation, like all the write ups are really good. Or at least there's, they're they're plentiful, um, so I'm starting with that, and then I'll work my way over to more general blockchain stuff of just like okay, how does Ethereum differ, and how yeah, what's different in the process? Is it different? And then of course getting into like smart contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the part that interests me the most. Yeah, smart contracts. Like, yeah, man, I'll I'll get there soon. Um. So the only other thing I had for this week was I saw a very, very interesting video. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, some YouTuber who's, who's quite big, I, I have never seen him before, but um, he popped up in my feed. And the title of his video was something like, I created a new YouTube channel to prove that succeeding on YouTube is more than just luck. Because, like, I definitely will say that the view that I've had in the past of YouTube is, oh, there's the algorithm. It's like, you want to do well, it's the algorithm. You gotta, you gotta figure out the algorithm and please it and upload a lot, whatever. So this guy comes on and he's like, I get a, I get the question all the time of, like, you know, how much of YouTube is luck and how much of it is skill? And in my head, I'm like, oh, it's like, 60% luck, or I don't know, maybe, maybe it's less, maybe it's 30% luck. So he goes, I think it's 99% skill. And I was like, oh, really? So <laughs> he, and then he like calls up his friend and is like, who's another huge YouTuber and is like, hey man, how much of, how much of YouTube is skill versus luck? And the guy's like, oh, it's 99% skill. So I'm like, okay, where's he going with this? So basically he's like, I'm going to, I, he said, I'm going to create a new YouTube channel. And my goal is to get a video up to 10,000 views, or no, I think he said a thousand views to get a video with a thousand views, um, within five or six days. And I'm not going to use my face, my name, anything. I'm going to do it all from scratch. And he does it. And it's like, his marketing is next level. Like he, he basically, um, he wrote an article about, a one specific Twitch streamer and he hired somebody on Fiverr to read the, to read the script for him. So he did an example recording of how he wanted it read, hired someone on Fiverr to do the reading for him. He hired an editor to edit the video. He did all the, he did the channel creation, the, the, all the thumbnails, all the banners, everything. And then uh, he covered some, I can't remember the name of the Twitch streamer, but he covered that person specifically in his video. And then he, he's a fucking genius. He went into the guy's live stream and baited him into click, into, uh, watching the video live on his stream. 
So he, I think he donated 50 bucks or something like that to the streamer and was like, oh, I made a video. <laughs> and like under a total, under a pseudonym was like, oh, I made a video and uh, it's, it's all about, I, I don't know, like he had a really hook, he had a really like tight title that hooked the YouTuber and he watched it on stream and all of a sudden it exploded that because that guy had like how like 10,000 concurrent viewers or something. So he was linking it up. People were watching it, liking it, sharing it. And it got like 10,000 views in like a couple days. <laughs> so I watched that and was like, this guy is a fucking beast. And he got like 1,200 subscribers or something from it. And I'm like, man, like that's the power of knowing your audience. Like knowing who you're going after, I was so floored by it. That was so cool. Whoa. Okay, I mean that's a that's an that's an impressive feat. But how do you get to the next level? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, what, what this exactly? And I mean, like, I think I'm sure momentum is a thing here, but it's really right. interesting to see, like, because I don't know, getting started feels like I don't know to me it feels like the really hard thing. Because after that, maybe it, it gets a little easier to connect with your audience, that sort of thing. Or to understand what people like or don't like. But just looking at that, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe. Like, he, it's just, it's so interesting to see somebody like that and see how easy they make it look. Because, <laughs> like, the article he wrote was really good. The essay he wrote, and he knew how to, and like, the editor did a superb job of like spacing it up and creating those hooks. So you're always like, oh, just 10 more seconds, 10 more seconds. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's supremely good. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely want to see this. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll link it up in the show notes. It's it's well worth watching. Uh, yeah, because yeah, oh man, I need to up my YouTube game. <laughs> Get that hook. <laughs> but yeah, I was uh, I was so impressed. It gave me I don't know. It, it just like pumps me up, pumps pumps up my marketing brain. Yeah. So yeah, that was really that was really my week coming up. Um, I'm getting ready to go to Halifax for Christmas, so we'll leave on Sunday. Um, and this week is, you know, I don't want to be at work, <laughs> but I'm onboarding my new uh, my my next client tomorrow. Actually, okay. so I'll have um, I'll be busy with him for the remainder of the week, and uh, I'll work with him next week as well. And then I'm off for for two weeks. I'm off until January. All right. I'm dying to go on vacation. I can't wait. Really. Ugh. Need some time off. Long overdue. So yeah, so my plans for this week is to do a little more. Yeah, start with a new consulting client and uh, do more reading, crypto reading. I really am. Tr I'd like to put out a, a small piece, just kind of distilling everything that I've learned. Um, I think that's my number one goal. Once I solve this like verification thing, then I can move on. But it'll be useful to I don't know, just to have uh, to put plant to plant my feet on solid earth. Wait, why aren't you making a YouTube channel? Yeah, exactly. What what crypto <laughs> fucking live stream can I pay to drop a pay to drop a thing in a video in? Well, you could go buy the uh, my first million NFT and oh, get yeah. your five minutes of fame. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's go, Sean. I need Sean Purry to fucking crank me. Let's go. Put me on blast. I've always thought about that. I don't know. Like YouTube is interesting. I uh, I feel like I I don't know. I, I personally kind of gravitate more towards video than I do to just reading. Maybe that's my like dopamine filled brain, just <laughs> wanting more colors and pictures. But I wonder if there's room for something like that on YouTube. Yeah, is although I think YouTube is doing a crackdown on crypto, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I read recently someone someone did a hackathon. I heard about this. I, yeah. I, maybe I heard about that on uh, Hacker News. Yeah, I think so. The, the, the hackathon for for like a crypto project, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, they post. They had to post the videos for the hackathon, right? And then, yeah, YouTube and and consequently Google just closed all his accounts. Like, oh shit! For for fraud, for or like scam or. Oh my god. <laughs> project was that good yeah but it but it, i mean i didn't validate whether it's true or not but sure. apparently it wasn't like it wasn't a scam at all and it wasn't oh, man. it was just a hackathon like interesting but 
the YouTube algorithm is out of control. It sees the word hack. It sees the word crypto. Oh, like, yeah. Flag. Could be. Could be. And he appealed, got rejected, and then Google like locked him out of all of his Google accounts. And, oh, my God. Like, I'm, I'm starting to, to be scared of that. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, like, my business and my personal stuff. It's like, I still use Gmail and, mm. and all that. So, the idea that, like, what if Google just freezes my account for some arbitrary reason? Like, can I can I recuperate my domains? Right? It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, right. So I got to make sure, like, I'm not I'm using I'm not using a Gmail account for for that. Oh, yeah, that's horrifying to think about. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's email is so much part of our everyday life. Like, it's everything. If they could just pull it from under you. Pull the rug from under you, like just oh, all of a sudden you don't have access to your emails. It, like it destroys everything. It's like yeah, oh, I can't. Sometimes two factor auth isn't going to work. You're exactly. not you're not going to be able to change your account because maybe they're going to send an email, some kind of verification to your old account, like password recovery, any of that stuff. Yeah, just, it's like, and then can I even log into my bank? Like, yeah. <laughs> what if my bank asks to to reset my password? Well, then I can't get the link. Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah, it's scary. Because I've been thinking about this lately with travel. Because I'm like, oh, if I go to, say I move to Portugal or something like that, like, what do I do with my phone? Because if, if I get two-factor yeah. off through stuff, like, I'm kind of fucked. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden now email, it kind of has become, a, in a weird way, it's become like a right. Yeah, no, exactly. It- it just seems wrong that they can just take it away from you. Like, yeah. Or like they'd, you know, like, I mean, I guess, I guess you could sue them. Like, Good luck. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I mean, because, but at least you have actual damages that you can measure. Mm-hmm. Like you guys just arbitrarily locked me out and, you, you know, you didn't even provide any proof that I violated your terms of conditions. Like, So, yeah, I guess you could try to sue them, but I mean, that would not, Resolve quickly, and it would no. cost a pretty penny. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, otherwise there's no recourse. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've I've, I've taken a note of it, and I'm like, okay, I need to at least decouple a few things. Yeah. It's like because I, I mean I I use G Suite also for you know for Power Importer, and it's like I it's very convenient. Like I like it. Because <laughs> I mean, but, uh, even if you could just like go into read only mode, it's like you can't yeah. send any mail. You're blocked from sending mail or whatever, but at least you could still receive something. Yeah, exactly. Like you lock lock it down to some to some level for like thirty days. You know, you got thirty days to yeah to clear out. <laughs> You're being evicted. Yeah, I don't so know that thirty think- days is enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I'm thinking is I need to make sure that my domains are. Mm-hmm. Are easily recoverable. Yeah. So yeah. So if for some crazy reason I get locked out of my G Suite, well, I can I can still control my domains. I can just redirect the domain name to to a new MX record, and yeah. and then I start receiving emails elsewhere. Yeah, you just gave me a new nightmare. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Maybe I need to think about having a a secondary Google account of some kind. I mean, for you, it might actually be a bigger risk if you were going to start blogging about crypto. and Yeah. Because this is the problem, man. Like, I, I had some friends who owned a cafe down the street from where I live, used to live. And I was I went for coffee one day and we were chatting and they were like, yeah, we... He was like, my Facebook got hacked and it posted like a bunch of spam, like... He was like terrorist shit. Like I was like, whoa, I don't don't know what this is. But um, it was linked to his business Instagram account. And they spent a lot of time grinding to grow that account. And they were like, you're done. You're you're done everywhere. And I was like, well, I mean, what do you mean? Like you've paid for ads in the past. Like go to your – sign into your ad account. Nope, gone. Can't get access. Yep. Can't can't get access to your receipts. Can't deactivate credit cards. Can't do anything. Account done. 
Uh, and I was like, man, I, that was the first time it really hit me that in these companies, they, like you, you can't contact them. They have, they have no customer right. service. It's, yeah. That's the, that's the scariest part. It's like you're dealing with robots. Like, yeah. And I would even like, I mean, this is not great, but even if it took months to get back, um, responses or just anything, fucking anything, at least that would be something. <laughs> This was just zero, nothing. And I spent a bunch of time researching, like trying to figure out, is there a way to reverse this or appeal it or anything? Is there a strike policy? But no, just nothing. Yeah, you can appeal, but apparently that process is also automated. Like, yeah, apparently. It's just a different robot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah scary stuff. Because, yeah, you think of anything else, like your cell phone, right? Like, mm-hmm. if your cell phone got, got hacked some for some reason, you know, and they, and they closed your account, mm-hmm. like, you could still reach a human and, like, yes. and, like, have them fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and that, you know, and your phone number is pretty important, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's used, you know, for, for a bunch of things. Like, so it should be the same thing for email. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well. What you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please don't shut me down, Google. Right, exactly. I love Google. Yeah, exactly. I love, I, I love you, Google. <laughs> You're the best. You fucking hear that? I love you. <laughs> I never use DuckDuckGo. Yeah. <laughs> never. <laughs> We're meeting in Chrome, in Google Meet, on a Chromebook. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a Google Home next to my computer. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I just want to think. Take a second, thank sponsor for the show, Google Products. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I don't have anything, anything else. All right. Well, I got, I got to get back to fixing some bugs. All right, man. What are you doing here? Fuck. <laughs> I know. Seriously. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll catch you later. All right. right. Talk to you next week. See you.